This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to remind you, peace of mind is tough to come by these days unless you have a Liberty Safe. With a Liberty Safe, you won't worry when you leave the house because you'll know your valuables are protected. And right now, you can get free delivery to your home on any Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com for factory direct pricing. LibertySafe.com, made in the USA, lifetime warranty, and peace of mind. LibertySafe.com. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thank you for being here. Giving us a couple minutes of your day. I I think we would be remiss if we did not start off the show with this. Uh, It's a video we just released. Uh, It was put on theblaze.com. On the surface, it's the story of the highwayman. Who's the highwayman? Uh, the highwayman drives the highways of San Diego looking for people to help. He's been doing this for about, about a, just a couple, 50 years. <laughs> Think about that. 50 years. He drives around the busiest and most dangerous highways and back roads of San Diego looking for people who have a flat tire or who are out of gas, who have engine trouble or whatever, pulls over and helps them. And he asks nothing in return, only to pay it forward to someone else who's in need. Now, the car that he's been driving around to do this in, uh, since he's been driving this car since 1966, and it's got all the necessary equipment and all that stuff. In 2000, he, he, calls, he calls her Beulah. That's the car's name, Beulah. In 2011, someone crashed into Beulah. And she has been in his garage since then. You'll tell pretty quickly by this audio right here that the highwayman loves Beulah. Not so much because of the car, but just because of what Beulah has enabled him to do over all these years. So we've had the highwayman on the show uh, a couple times. I think last time on my local show was, was a few months ago. Um, and I think that's all the background necessary for this to make sense here. So uh, this is the uh, the rest of the story. I want to go to Rick, who's in Vista. Rick, how are you, sir? Good, Mike. How are you? Good. You're here with the highwayman. You know, a few years ago, there was a pileup right in front of us on the freeway, but it was on the other side of the median. And there was a little VW car, and... All of a sudden, a, a spark or something set off a small fire, and I said to my guys, we've got to get across that median. There's, there's a lady in that car. But there was so much traffic on the other side, we couldn't get over. And in a matter of minutes, uh, the car and the woman burned up, and it's always haunted me. Mm. Always haunted me. Mm. And I hear what this guy does, and I want to pass it on. I want to restore his, uh, his car for him. What do you think of that highway, man? Huh. I'm kind of speechless. Thank you. This is actually a video of him, a dashboard video of him helping someone on the side of the road in 2010. It's 
So today will be the first time this thing hits the highway since 2011. So is that five years? When I heard that he had been doing this for 50 years, I'm like, who does that? You know, you got people that help out here and there, but 50 years. Who, who, who does something like that 50 years consistently? So, yeah, it was a no-brainer. Let's go back to when you were 16 years old. What happened? Coming home in a blizzard on a lonely Illinois highway. I went into a snowbank and was trapped there. The car was trapped there. And it was... A fellow came along after I'd been there a few hours and pulled me out with a chain, and he wouldn't accept any money. I offered to pay him. I said, thank you. He said, you pass it on when you can. Well, I think we can wipe the roof off and head on out, Ray. In 49 years of doing what I do, I've learned that a lot of people's intentions are good, but not everybody follows through. Here she comes. Here she comes. How often he's been out over the last 50 years, the number of people he helps each day. She's beautiful. <laughs> you know, times of days, times of years. How many of those people, had he not pulled up and rescued, may have gotten hit on the freeway, you know? So he's, he's probably saved numerous lives. This is my angel. Thank you so much, Rick. <laughs> yep. You put a lot of work into her. I know you did. They did all the work. All the mechanical work. All the These are your sons? My son. My son called me. A little bit. Pleasure, boys. I... <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. Always be grateful for that that you receive. People out on the road, I've had them, I've had grown men break down and cry. Hey, the power windows work. <laughs> you want to come over here and get a bear hug, Rick? <laughs> I might not let go of you. <laughs> you don't need to thank me. We need to thank you. 50 years, buddy. Impressive. I only hope to be the man that you are someday. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I can't believe she's back. Well, it's going to take me a while to recover from this. It says... If I cannot do great things, I'll do small things in a great way. And that's been on my dashboard ever since. I can't help everybody, but I try. I do the best I can with what I've got for their situations. Wow. <laughs> that video is 
on our Facebook page. You can just search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook, and you can watch it there. Um, you really have to see it. And you can see Beulah, and you can see the joy in the highwayman's eyes. I don't know what my favorite part of that video is, to be honest. It might be you have Rick, and then Rick's friends who worked on it with him, and then his friend's sons who all worked on the car together. I think <laughs> just everyone working on it together is great. Here, this, is, this is what that is to me. It's the story of a man who has dedicated his life to paying it forward. Now, we talk about paying it forward here and there. He has dedicated his life to paying it forward. And it's the story of a man who fulfilled his promise to bring Beulah back to life. Anyone can make a promise, right? It's like the old Seinfeld episode, right? Anyone can make a reservation. You have to keep the reservation. Not everyone can keep the reservation. Same thing with this. Anyone can make a promise, but not everyone can fulfill it like Rick did. And so paying it forward and fulfilling promises, those are two great things. That's what I see in those, in this four minute video. You know, it's interesting uh, tonight. Don't know what your plans are, but if you watch an hour of TV, you're going to watch, uh, you know, 18 minutes of commercials and every commercial pretty much says the same thing. Buy this product and, and you'll be happier, right? Buy this thing, buy this service, whatever it is, buy this and you will be happier. And then never, it never makes you happier. Basic study was done a while back. Researchers gave $20 bills to college students. Half of them were told to spend the money on themselves. Half were told to spend the money on someone else. The people who spent the money on someone else were not only happier, which is one thing, but fleeting. The people who spent the money on someone else had a greater sense of meaning and significance in their lives. So, so much more than happiness. Meaning and significance. I think that's what the highwayman has, isn't it? First, I can tell you this. The highwayman told me that he suffers from depression. He said, helping others is the greatest medicine that anyone can prescribe. That's why he does it. So you want to talk about meaning and significance. Highwayman's dedicated his life to it. And then Rick. Rick didn't have to do that. Rick doesn't own an auto body repair shop. He kind of does this stuff on the side. But he dedicated about $18,000 of his own money and a lot of time to help the highwayman out. Meaning and significance. It's as good as it gets. You can see it on our uh, Facebook page. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. And uh, check it out there. I'll end with this quote from Ben Franklin. To be content, look backward on those who possess less than yourself, not forward to those who possess more. And if this does not make you content, you don't deserve to be happy. Highwayman's happy because he's always looking for people he can help. Pretty simple. one 900 Please search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook and watch that video and uh, and spread it around. We can lift some people up with it. I know it. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On The Blaze Radio Network.
Mike Slater. Slater Crusader is going to be go watch that video um, or share that video on our Facebook page. We really appreciate it. I think the Highwayman deserves all the attention uh, that we could possibly give him and as many people as possible to hear his story after 50 years of paying it forward for people. Amazing. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Uh, por favor. It's also on theblaze.com, uh, too. Uh, Rants Out Loud just sent me, he said, uh, Slater, if I cannot do great things, I can do little things in a great way. That's from the Highwayman right there. I love that. I got another story along those lines or that fits into that category. Delana Jones. Delana Jones, small business owner. She owns a beauty salon. Problem is, that salon isn't isn't in the best location. It's it's been fine. I mean, she's worked there for ten years, and she finally became the owner in 2012. Right. So imagine how exciting and terrifying <laughs> that that would be to work someplace for ten years and then finally become the owner of it. Right. So you're excited because you, you get to be your own boss, get to run your own salon, doing what you love, doing what you're good at. A little slice of the American dream, right? But the bills, the rent, the taxes, the insurance, the employees, the extra hours, the serving the customers. What if they don't come back? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. But you know what? Let's do it anyway. The internal dialogue of a small business owner. So, so it's, the salon's been great. Everything's been going wonderful. It's been an okay location all this time until last year. Turns out Delana Salon is right in the epicenter of where the Ferguson protests are. Last year, looters broke through her windows and stole everything in her store and destroyed everything else they couldn't take. And it wasn't only that day of looting, but the loss of business in the last 12 months since the beginning of the Ferguson riots, she estimates about $75,000 in losses, just people not coming by there anymore. Delana says you have all these different protesters. They don't pop into your business and say, hey, what do you need? Hey, are you okay? It just seems like with the protests, it seems very selfish. Now it gets worse. As the protest kicked up again, uh, a couple weeks ago, her store was robbed and looted again. Now, here's the good news. The St. Louis Tea Party. I love this group. They are fantastic. Here's what they've done. They've taken... Hmm, so the Tea Party started off, whatever, seven years ago, as a, 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 a movement about talking about things. Right? We got to get out there. We got to spread a message. We got to we got to talk about our founding. We got to talk about economics. We got to talk about principles. We got to get this message out there. That's how it started, which was great. Then the Tea Party transformed into this. Let's get involved on a macro level, right? So let's let's run for office. Let's run for school board. Let's go to school board meetings. Let's go to city council meetings. Let's have people who are watching our politicians holding their feet to the fire. So it was involvement in a macro level. Beautiful, great. Still needs to happen. But I think what the Tea Party needs to do now is take a, a, uh, a note from the uh, St. Louis Tea Party and get involved not on in a macro level, but in a micro level. 
how do we how does the tea party how do we get involved in people's lives individuals lives here what i mean here's what i mean last year the uh st louis tea party organized bycots for businesses along this stretch in ferguson so they encourage people to drive uh, into ferguson and, and frequent those businesses that have been hit And they've been helping all year long. They've been going to those businesses all year. And not only that, but the last few days, four members of the Tea Party stand guard inside and outside of Delana Salon day and night, making sure that it's not disturbed anymore. Now, here's... uh, Here's the thing that the protesters are oblivious to in their anger. Uh, Delena is is black. And she's become wonderful friends with someone in the St. Louis Tea Party, Dottie, who is white. They've become very close friends. Why? Because believe it or not, these two women, well, sure, we know they have lots of things that are different. Skin color, most noticeably, very different. Hair color, very different. Backgrounds different, raised differently, schools different, lots of differences. But they have one major thing in common. Single moms. They call each other their kindred spirits. And on Friday nights, every Friday night, Dottie will go to Delena's salon and they just sit and they joke and they laugh and they love on each other. Because they have way more in common than their differences. We all do. We've been ingrained with this cult of diversity we're just we're so infected with it we just obsess over the things that make us different it's absurd and it divides us and this is the type of personal connection that we need more of you know the last couple weeks on the show we've been talking about breaking stereotypes the best the only way to really do that is through action so last year, St. Louis Tea Party, they were, they were fixing up Delana's salon, cleaning it up, and a man walked in, and he said, he said, where are y'all from? And he said, the Tea Party. He goes, Tea Party? You're from the Tea Party? Ah, uh, you're bad boys. <laughs> and then he looked around, and he saw what everyone from the Tea Party was doing, and he said, the Tea Party came up here to do this? Yeah. I talked to Dottie the other day on my local show. I want to put that interview on our Facebook page a little later today. And I said, Dottie, if you could talk to one of the protesters who are out there throwing bricks at police officers, what would you say to them? And she said, oh, I'd I'd just, I'd pull them aside and I'd I'd just listen because my heart breaks for them. I'd just listen and I'd just love them. I wouldn't give them my political philosophy. (laughs) I just love them and show them that we're here and we can help in any way. That has to be the future of the Tea Party. That has to be the future of the conservative movement. I wish it could be done with big laws and all passing laws and all that. It can't. I'm up for changing hearts one at a time if that's what it takes. I think that's what it takes. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network.
888-900-3393. Mike Slater is on. Slater Crusaders, thanks for being here. Thanks for the kind messages on uh, on Twitter as well. Steve, John, Jennifer, appreciate you guys listening. Slater Radio on Twitter. Um, but it all started from a, a video that we just released this morning. It's on the Blaze. Uh, you got to scroll down a little bit because it was posted last night. But it's on... Um, um, our Facebook page. You can just search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook and and watch the, our little mini documentary there about the Highway Man. Uh, it's it brings me to tears every time I watch it. So please spread it around. I think more people need to to know about the Highway Man. Uh, I want to tell the story here of of Ruben Navarrete Jr. Daily Beast, progressive. Uh, his whole life, he's been pro-choice. Whole life, and he's been pro-choice for two main reasons. First. He did not want to be on the same side as people who threaten abortion doctors and set fire, uh, set clinics to fire, uh, set, set, set clinics on fire, right? He sees people lighting people, lighting buildings on fire and threatening human. Like he, I don't want to be with those people. So I'm going to land on the pro-choice side. That was reason number one. Reason number two, he's a man. Now he says, many will say that this is not a very good reason, but it's my reason. Lacking the ability to get pregnant and thus spared what has been for women friends of mine the anguishing decision of whether to stay pregnant, I've remained on the sidelines and deferred to the other half of the population. That's, I bet that's so true for so many guys. And that's the whole pitch right like he is acting this uh, Ruben guy has been acting exactly as the pro-choice people want him to act by saying oh it's it's a women's woman's right to choose you have nothing you have no say in the matter you other half of the population right you as a man have no say in this situation right here and that's exactly what Ruben concluded he's like oh I don't, I don't know you 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 decide women I want to come back around to that in a second I love this line right here. He says, as I've only realized lately, to be a man and to declare yourself pro-choice is to proclaim your neutrality. And as I've only recently been willing to admit, that is another name for wimping out. At least that's how my wife sees it. She is pro-life. So she's been tearing into me every time a new video is released. She's not buying the argument that as a man, I have to defer to women and trust them to make their own decisions about what to do with their bodies. To her, that's ridiculous and cowardly. You can't stand on the sidelines, especially now that you've seen these videos, she told me recently. That's bull. These are babies that are being killed, millions of them. And you need to use your voice to protect them. That's what a man does. He protects children. His own children and other children. That's what it means to be a man. (laughs) That's so good. Can't you just see his wife just finger in his face? Like That's what a man does. Be a man. So think about that. This whole time, this whole pro-choice movement, it's been, oh, it's, it's a women's, woman's decision. You, men, you have no say in this whatsoever. And here's this woman saying, no, 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 no. It is a man's job to protect children. You cannot sit on the sideline. That's not what men do. 
Men protect children, their children and other children. So I refuse to be boxed out of this conversation. That's why I treasure my wife. She is always the voice of compassion and mercy in the Slater family. And it sounds like the same goes for, for Ruben's wife as well. How about that for an honest column, right? So a man who, who sits down and says, all right, here's all the reasons I, I, I'm pro-choice. I've been pro-choice. But as I've seen new information and as I've been forced to face reality with a little push from my wife, he was humble enough to accept this reality and publicly change his opinion to a bunch of people who have not changed their opinion. That is very, very difficult to do. It really, really is. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. When's the last time you've done that? I know that's a hard question, but like, really, when's the last time you've admitted, you know what? Wow, I was, I was really wrong about that. And you told that to a bunch of people who are still wrong about that. That is really hard to do. I know this is a word that's thrown around a lot lately, but that's, that's courageous to do that. And I think that's an especially appropriate word because courage, courage comes from the Latin word um, uh, for heart. Core. C-O-R is uh, Latin for heart. That's how in Spanish corazón means heart. C-O-R. So, so courage means inner strength that comes from the heart. And it seems like this man has had a heart change. And he wasn't afraid to tell people about it. That is excellent. It's excellent. I just want to give you a little preview of something that we've been working on and we're going to start uh, Monday. And it'll probably take, I hope by by next weekend we'll have something to share. But on my local show, we've been... Asking, well, actually, let me let me start from the beginning. We've had just talking about the Planned Parenthood videos. We've had a lot of people call in and share their stories of having an abortion and how they feel about it now and what what they felt about it then. And and I always ask them, you know, what did you need to hear? What what would you have needed to hear when you were sixteen and pregnant to have made a different decision? And every woman said the same thing. And then we had men call in and tell their stories of pressuring their girlfriends to have gotten an abortion. One guy called in, um, oh, what's his name? Not Gilbert. Um, uh, Gibson called in and said, Slater, my uh, girlfriend, a couple years back, he was 24. His girlfriend was like 18, I think. A couple years back, uh, had an abortion. I didn't go with her. Her best friend went with her. At 10 a.m., I'm not even kidding. He said, it felt like a piece of my soul was ripped out of me. So a couple hours later, he called his girlfriend up and said, when did you get the abortion? She said, around 10 o'clock. He said, he goes, Slater, listen, I know that sounds crazy. I, I get it. I know that sounds ridiculous. But around 10 a.m., it felt like a part of me was ripped from my body. Ripped from my, a part of my soul was ripped from my body. So we're hearing all these stories and people are so brave to call in and tell their stories to all of San Diego. 
I'm thinking, you know what? This is a, there, there's a moment here. There's a moment here. So what we are doing is we have about 12 people who are going to help us make videos, short videos, for women, girls, men and boys, for people who are in a crisis pregnancy at that moment. That's, that's who these videos are directed for. And we have women who have had an abortion and regret it. We have women who were going to have an abortion and decided not to. We have people who were adopted, whose mother, I, like one, one story, this person's mom, birth mom, had two abortions already, decided to have her third baby, gave her up for adoption. So she is alive because her mother chose life. We have stories of families who couldn't get pregnant, but were able to adopt from a mom who already had an abortion, but decided to see this baby through. So we have families made whole because people chose life. We have men who pressured their girlfriends to have an abortion and regret it every single day. Every, every second, every day they wake up, they open up their eyes. It's the first thing they think about for the last 20 years of their life. And we have men who were in the abortion clinic with their girlfriends and at the last minute said, let's get out of here. So we have like all the stories you can imagine. We have one woman whose doctor said she was going to be born mentally retarded. Mom decided to have her anyway. And she went to, you know, she's like, a, she got her master's degree in something now. Is that right? So we have the gamut of stories. And for so long, no, no one's shared them. It's weird, you know, Whenever we're going through something difficult in our life, we always think we're alone. I don't know why. I don't know where that comes from. But we always think we're the only one who has ever gone through this situation ever in our lives. Whatever, whatever the difficult thing is. Like, oh, um, my uh, a sibling is an alcoholic. No one knows what that's like. No one's ever had a brother or sister who's an alcoholic. And we isolate ourselves and push people away and think we're the only people who have ever gone through this in our entire lives. Name the, name the difficulty in life. It's just what we do. It's our default position. So same thing with a crisis pregnancy. You have these girls and these, these guys thinking they're the only people who have ever had to make this decision and we just don't know what to do. So they go to Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood, they're compassionate and they're loving and they say, oh, here, here, it's okay. We can solve this problem. I just want them to have another perspective. And know that they're not alone. And look, if you make this decision, here's a woman who did and regrets it every single day of her life. And here's a woman who made a different decision. And look at the beautiful family that they have today. And here's a woman who chose to uh, have her baby uh, uh, up for adoption. And look at the, the joy that she brought and that you can bring to a family. Right? If we can tell those stories, how does it get any better than that? Um, and, and we'll, we're, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know if we're going to do a longer video or if we're going to do a bunch of shorter videos. I don't really know yet, but, um, we're going to start releasing them, uh, probably, probably next, hopefully next Saturday, we'll at least have a couple. Give me an example of a story. 
got an email just the other day. She had two abortions. This is her third baby. Her mom is telling her to get rid of it. That's her words, get rid of it. So she struggled. She's going back and forth two days before the appointment. She felt something inside of her say, if you treat this child as a burden, he will be a burden. If you treat this child as a blessing, he will be a blessing. Now, everything was lined up for her to have an abortion. Single mom, dad wanted nothing to do with it. Family didn't support her. She had no money, no real job prospects. Like poster child for having an abortion. She didn't. And this is what she says now. She says, my son's the biggest blessing in my life. As promised. Did I struggle? Did I have to give up the life I had? Did I have to give up? Or or did I want to give up? No. But did I decide to buy formula and diapers or, or food for me? Yeah, I had to make that decision. But now at six foot five, he's my gentle giant. And I can't imagine life without him. I used to go into his room and watch him sleeping and cry for what I almost did. Think about a girl who's going through crisis pregnancy and, and here's her story. She says, maybe if I was given the information, the truth, I would have made a different decision about ending my pregnancies. So that's our mission. I'm excited to share it. Uh, prayers would be appreciated. Uh, that we can we can help some people and uh, not me, but these people sharing their stories, which is so difficult to do, can save some lives. That's the goal. One eight eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders got a lot to do in the next two hours here. Victory over Japan Day. Have you ever wondered why it's called VJ Day? Yes, Slater. Victory over Japan. You just said it. Uh, yeah, but why even that? Why, like, World War I wasn't called Victory over Germany Day. It's Armistice Day. So why do they call it VJ Day? Actually goes back well before. 1945. So we'll talk about that coming up. Uh, also, Hillary Clinton, it looks like she is doubling down that she did not send any classified information on her email, which is a lie again. I want to give my prediction for how she could spin her way out of this. John Kerry the other day, inadvertently, perhaps, gave her a way out in an interview he did with CNN. Gave her a way out, and I, I, I thought she would take it, but she hasn't yet. We'll spell that out coming up as well. Coming up in the next segment, though, I want to um, I want to talk about how I'm sick of the beginning, I'm sick of the end. I want to talk about the middle. What does that mean? Uh, Birmingham, Alabama. There was a traffic stop. Black driver started to attack the police officer. The police officer was going to shoot him, but hesitated. The driver grabbed his gun and hit the police officer over the head with it until he was unconscious. Very well could be dead. Probably should be dead right now. And the officer hesitated because he, he didn't want to be on the media. He didn't want to be in the news. I'm so sick of arguing about these confrontations. 
who's right and all that. And I'm ta- sick of talking about like the beginning of life, pro-life, pro-choice, all this stuff. If we talk about the middle, then we won't have to talk about the beginning or the end anymore. We'll make sense of that coming up next. Mike Slater Show, Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thank you for being here. Uh, if I could again uh, ask you to go to our Facebook page, search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook and and watch and share the video of the Highwayman that we just released yesterday morning and uh, yesterday afternoon was posted on theblaze.com. Um, but you can re- see it right there at the top of our Facebook page. Uh, let's see. Jennifer said, do, 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 what did Jennifer say? Um, I cry happy tears when I listen to your show. Uh, Steve said, your show usually makes me cry. Today, it's filling me with joy. You'll love it. You'll love this video of the Highwayman, I promise. Four minutes well spent on this beautiful Saturday. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. And that's what we just put it on Twitter, too. Slater Radio on Twitter. Uh, this right here is, and excuse me, I, I'm probably mispronouncing his name. John Rees Davies. Uh, I guess he was on Glenn's show the other day. I didn't get a chance to listen to the interview with Glenn. I apologize. Um, most recently, he was in the Lord of the Rings movies. I did hear his interview on the Adam Carolla show and they were talking about racism in America and how it's so bizarre that we're told that, that in America we invented racism, right? Like it's, it's unique to us. We invented slavery and kids are taught that simultaneously we're the only people who have ever owned slaves and we're the people who treated our slaves worse than anyone else. Which doesn't make sense to have both those things taught at the same time, but that's how it goes. And, and there's just this irrational self-flogging of America because of slavery and racism, and it makes no sense at all. Uh, so here is John Rhys-Davies, uh, a world traveler himself on this topic. The president could, could take the podium tomorrow and go, look, we've come a long way, but obviously, don't kid yourself, we're still living in a very racist society. And everyone would just applaud that. And I would say, no, I'm not abiding. I'm not saying racism doesn't exist. This notion that it's prevalent is the part I reject. But that we have the market cornered on racism and slavery when I just it's a worldwide thing. And we gave it up a little little while back but what is what do you think is a world traveler of this country and why are we kicking the ourselves constantly oh that's uh, let me first say i think i think all groups tend to be racist basically i did shogun in in japan many years ago and we were in parts of japan that really hadn't seen any round eyes mm-hmm. before and uh i had a, a a japanese girl translator and we I'd knock off some time, and we'd go into the uh, we'd go into the bar, and we'd have a drink, and the old man would go, and 
And I'd say, I want a translation. And she would say, no, certainly not. And I'd say, come on, I want a translation. It's your job. And it was basically, you know, I mean, what's a, what's a nice girl like you doing with a dirty foreigner, you know, who's going to give you diseases and no decent man will want you and all that sort of thing. It was very nice to be, actually very salutary to, <laughs> yeah. be, to be on the wrong side of, 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 of a caste or race. Yeah, race relations. But I think basically it's got to do with with numbers. We grew up, most of our history as as, as human beings has been in very small groups, hunter-gatherers basically. And if we're going to go hunting together, I have to know everything about you and you and you and you and you. I have to know everything, all the dynamics of your relationships. Can you work with her? Can you, can you go hunting with him? What's, what's the particular weakness in that combination there right. that I, I need to know? You know? If you're going out with Dick Cheney, you want to know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in advance. You've got to suss that out before you hop in the truck. Pump it right there. Well, um, Um, can you play? Can you keep playing that? Actually, there's a little bit more to go. Very well. That's otherwise, right. you're going to get a spear in the back. But the combinations that you can have uh, get very complicated once the number gets high. And and really, about the maximum we can manage is about 150. Mm-hmm. Once we once we get above 150, it's no longer individuals; it's them. Right. You know, and and that's part of our in, innate problem uh, that, that makes us all innately hostile originally or suspicious of yeah so we can stop there so i really like that our arguments that go back to the caveman days uh make a lot of sense to me if an argument that that strips strips out modern culture right uh, strips out this this arrogance that that makes us think that we are so different than, than people who came before us, uh, that strips out modern constructs and modern amenities and really goes back to our innate hunter-gatherer self. I really like arguments like that. They're really convincing to me. Um, for instance, I'll do a quick aside and we'll get back to the, the racism one. Uh, why do we like sugar so much? Why, why do we like sugar? Because way back in the day, hunting and gatherer days, um, sugar meant energy. So sugar from a piece of fruit was really important. It gave you energy to go hunt. And also sugar turns into fat in our bodies. And when you don't know when the next meal you're going to eat is, uh, you know, d- until you kill your next animal, you need fat. You need to store fat to survive so that you can go and, and procreate. So for thousands of years, we needed sugar to survive because we didn't know when our next meal was going to come. Well, now we don't need sugar to survive. But those same neurological pathways are set, right? When we eat sugar, dopamine is released. We feel good. We get a jolt of energy. All the things that our caveman ancestors needed to survive, we don't need that anymore. Same thing with racism back in the day. You hunted with your tribe, and your tribe all looks the same, obviously. So you're out hunting a couple days, and you come across people who look different. Your initial reaction, of course, is going to be, hold on, they're different, they're dangerous. Because it's all about survival. 
They're different. They're dangerous. I'm, I'm suspicious. I'm skeptical. Who are you? Back off. Keep your distance. And I think that's just in us. Because that's been the case for thousands of years. Only recently has it not needed to be the case. My point is we need to evolve past that. Or even better, we need to understand that our tribe isn't just 150 people anymore. The 150 people who are closest to me or the 150 people who look most like me. Our tribe is all Americans or all humans. We must increase the size of our tribe. Because if we stay in our mini tribe mentality, we're going to keep being suspicious and skeptical of people. But again, John goes on to say in the clip, he says, when you meet with a person one-on-one, then you find out that that person is lovely and intelligent and compassionate and entertaining and capable of friendship with me, just like I am of him, right? Just like anyone else would be. So we see this in Ferguson. We have tribes, right? The black people in Ferguson, the white people across town, and the tribes are angry at each other, and now they're violent at each other. But then you have people like Delena and Dottie, members of opposite tribes who are best friends now because they got to know each other. If you weren't listening earlier, Delena owns a salon uh, on that main street in Ferguson. Uh, she's been looted twice now in the last year. And lost a ton of business just because there's no more foot traffic in that area. And Dottie's from the St. Louis Tea Party, who's come in and, and has done these boycotts on, on stores on that street to help them out. Dottie and Delana have become the best of friends. But hold on, Delana's black, Dottie's white. How can that be? Well, they just realize that they're not on opposite tribes. They're not in different tribes. They're in the same tribe. They're both humans. So here's my conclusion. The people who put us into groups, they are less evolved. They are more like our tribal ancestors. The people who put us into groups and say we're different are more like our tribal ancestors from thousands of years ago. The people who say, oh, black people need this. Mexicans like this. White people are this. They're playing the same games our ancient tribal leaders played with neighboring warring tribes. They just throw modern terms on the same concepts, right? They say, oh, black people, they're different. They need affirmative action. Oh, Mexican people, they're different. They're in a different tribe. They like welfare programs. Oh, white people, they're different. They're privileged or whatever stupid stuff you put on top of it in our modern world. Those are just modern constructs of the same ancient ideology that says those people are in a different tribe. We, conservatives, are evolved. We say, enough of this tribal nonsense. Enough of it. We're individuals. We're coming. We're all in this together as Americans. Don't get pulled back into ancient philosophies. Dressed up as modern intellectualism. We have advanced past this thinking of tribalism. We have advanced past it. Don't get dragged back. Because a lot of people really want you to. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. 
on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Mike Slater. Uh, Slater Crusaders, I think it's worth. Uh, I don't know. I don't want Dave to get off too off track here, but Dave says, uh, here you go again, as if people are taught that the U.S. is the only purveyor of racism and slavery, a silly premise for simpletons. Uh, I've never heard anyone except for you say such a thing. Um, I, I totally disagree. Um, slavery in America is the root of. And at the root of all racial discussion today, that's the whole root of Black Lives Matter. Listen to any Black Lives Matter protester, and they will go back to slavery as the philosophical justification of whatever it is that they want today. They'll go back to slavery and then on to Jim Crow and the rest as reasons for why X, right? <laughs> like why anything as <laughs> the reasons to why they're uh, you know, black people, lower education rates, marriage rates, blah, 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 you name it. So slavery is at the root of every, every discussion had today about race in America. And I think the, the reason it's brought up and the way it's taught is with an assumption that the American slave experience is unique. And I, I, will, I promise you, because it wasn't too long ago I was in our public school system, that there is no global context given to slavery whatsoever. Real quick, real quick, do you think um, the Confederate flag, right? The whole Confederate flag controversy, all of that was based on slavery. The whole, all that country was based on slavery, all based on the premise that, that what happened in America was unique to the world. So I'll just throw out just for, you can keep these in your back pocket. Um, what percentage, let me see, which, which fact should we start out with first? What percentage, we'll do this, which per, and a height of slavery, 1860, what percentage of Americans owned slaves? What percentage of Americans owned slaves in 1860? 1.4%. Now in the South, because I know someone's going to be like, oh, what about in the South? 6%. 6% of Southern whites owned slaves. But nationwide, 1.4%. Over the entire course of the slave trade from Africa to the New World, South and North America, what percentage of slaves were brought to America? So there were 13 million slaves who were shipped to the New World. 13 million. What percentage were shipped to America of those 13 million? You ask... Any, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna do this. Actually, we're gonna do a video of this. 
You ask any high schooler, any college student, what percentage of slaves were, were sent from Africa to the New World, guarantee you they'll say between 50 and 90%. I absolutely guarantee you, and we will prove it next week when we make our video. Absolutely. The answer is three, 3%. The rest went to the Caribbean and South America. But no one ever talks about Brazil's slave trade. 40% of slaves were shipped to Brazil. 40%. And they ended slavery 20 years after we did. Do they have Al Sharptons? I mean, that's a serious question. I, I really don't know the answer to that. I don't know what the status is of Brazil and their race relations in Brazil. I don't know if they have Al Sharptons or not. I don't, I don't know if they have affirmative action. I don't, I don't know. I'd like to do some more research on that. But it, it's a, it was a much bigger part of the Brazil experience than it was the American experience. And, I mean, goodness, this isn't even an It was hardly even an American experience. Uh, the word slave comes from the word Slav, meaning Slavic people, who in the Middle Ages were the primary people who were taken as slaves. They are very white. Slavic people. People in every culture were taken as slaves. People of all cultures were kept as slaves. Even people of their own race. Benin is a uh, tiny country in Africa. It's tucked in there. Let's go back to my geography class. Tucked in between Ghana and Nigeria, I think. Right there on the coast. It's about half the size of Colorado. Small country. Just about a decade ago, 12 years ago, something like that, they apologized. They apologized to the world for their role in the slave trade. And there was a slave in America, late 1700s. He said, I was first kidnapped and betrayed by my own complexion who were the first cause of my exile and slavery. So we had Africans kidnapping and enslaving Africans to sell like cattle on the slave trade. But even then, that wasn't a uniquely African thing. This happened all over the world, and actually happened here in America too. In 1860, what percentage of free blacks do you think owned slaves? What percentage of blacks in America owned slaves? 28%. 28% of free blacks owned black slaves. (laughs) And don't even get me started on the Irish slave trade. Over 100,000 Irish children were sold as slaves in America and the Caribbean. 100,000. And because they were were held captive by the British, because they were Catholic, they were treated at times even worse than black slaves. But again, none of that's PC. We'll save that off for another day, but none of that is going to be taught in schools, ever. I got 60 seconds. We'll go to Jason in D.C. real quick. Jason, it's all yours, sir. Hey, man. Uh, we want to talk about racism. There's no more race. Uh, the most racist people in the world are the Japanese, and, and we want to talk about class systems. Let's look at India, where there's hundreds of millions of people that are just basically regaled to uh, cleaning up crap and being garbage men in the society over there. The, other th- the last point is... Ask ourselves, think about the Bible. Where was it condemning slavery? Whether you be Jewish, Arabic, or Christian, guess what? All of those books allowed and condoned slavery. They did not forbid it. Hmm. And what's your point of that? The point being is that as a society, uh, we uh, across all these religions, none of the major religions were calling hmm. for, you cannot own another person. It's wrong. Interesting. So it's endemic within our society. Yeah, Jason, man, appreciate that call very much. Here's my point. 
I'm not saying that any of this makes it right. <laughs> like, oh, well, all these other countries did it and still do. There's still 30 million slaves right now in the world. I'm not saying any of that makes what we did right. It's a horrible black guy in our country. But there's no need to flog ourselves about it. Let's move on. Let's do better. Let's do better and reach the true American ideal. But we can't do it if we keep whipping ourselves over it. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you for being here today. Uh, let's see. Let's uh, this all ties in together. So, Birmingham, Alabama. Just the other day, there's a traffic stop. Driver, uh, black male driving, got out. And I don't exactly know what happened from the stop to this point. Uh, but from this point, uh, he started to run at the police officer. And the police officer was going to shoot him, but he hesitated. So the driver got the police officer, took his gun, and hit him over the head with it until he was unconscious. The guy got back in his car, drove away. People watched this happen, and they, they took pictures of the officer lying on the ground. So that man, the police officer, should be dead right now. How fortunate that the guy just hit him over the head with the gun and didn't shoot him with the gun. So why did he hesitate? He said, a lot of officers are being too cautious because of what's going on in the media. I hesitated because I did not want to be in the media like I am right now. Absolutely, he should be dead. But if the officer did shoot, then the black driver could be dead. So, in this situation where... Someone should be dead. And it's so frustrating because to go back to our tribal mentality, it's like we need to pick a side. Right? Like like we need to, well, I'm on the police officer side. He should have shot the guy. Or no, I'm on the black man's side. If he, I'm going to riot or I don't like, it's weird. I, I'm, I'm sick of picking sides. We have to strike the root of what's going on here so that these situations don't happen in the first place. For instance, this driver has been arrested six times before. Six. Why? Why was he doing those things that got him arrested six other times? And I think we can paint a picture of this, this, this guy's family life and this guy's economic situation. Which led to... Th- these him making these decisions which led to him ultimately being in this situation where it was either he was going to die or the police officer was going to I don't want it to even get to that situation we have to strike the root it's the only way to cut down on these stories if I can make uh, a sort of complicated point I'll, I'll try to make it as clearly as I can and I just was thinking about this the other day and it goes back to the whole idea of picking sides. I'm sick of picking sides. So here's what I'm seeing. We got 
pro-choice people, pro-choice, right? Making an argument against pro-life people. And the argument goes something like, hey, listen, you say you're pro-life, but you don't support all these social welfare programs that actually help kids after they're born. So you're not pro-life, you're pro-birth. Have you heard that before? There was a nun who made that argument a couple of years back and it's been flying around the internet uh, the last couple weeks. The argument is you're not really pro-life unless you support all the social welfare government programs after that child is born. So we got pro-choice people going after pro-life people. Okay, let's let's just accept that as true. We'll go we'll, we'll go with that for the sake of argument moving forward. Now on the other side, Black Lives Matter. My argument is that a lot of these Black Lives Matter protesters are only coming into the situation after an officer shoots a black guy. Well, where were you during the entire life of Gennard Cunningham? That's the, the guy who, who hit the cop over the head with his gun. Where were you? His life. His life as a child. His life in school. His life trying to get a job afterwards. His life any of the moments after the six times he was already arrested. Where were you for everything leading up to this situation? So this, this is what I'm saying. Pro-life people are being accused of only caring about the beginning of someone's life, not the rest of it. I'm accusing Black Lives Matter protesters of only caring about the end of someone's life and not everything that led up to that point. So how about we both put our weapons down and we start caring about every aspect of life. The beginning, the end, and the middle. It's so interesting that people hold on to their weapons that life matters at birth, which I agree with. Life matters at birth and everyone should care about this life at this moment of their birth as much as I do. That's a segment of the population. Then you got another segment of the population that are yelling, life matters at death. The way that Michael Brown died, his life mattered at that point. And everyone should care about his life at the moment that he died from that police officer as much as I should. And that segment population's over there. I'm saying, everyone put your weapons down and let's care about every life at all of these moments, the beginning, the end, and every part in between. Because we'll never find an agreement on how to help people in the middle of their lives if we keep arguing about the beginning of it and if we keep arguing about the end of it. Because it's the middle part that's important. Because it's the middle part that can prevent the you know being arrested six times and then attacking a police officer and that confrontation if we focus on the middle part that won't happen and if we focus on the middle part then we won't have 16 year old girls or whoever in a crisis pregnancy wanting to get an abortion but we're never going to focus on the middle if we keep arguing about the beginning and the end but here's the craziest part. People in the be- who argue about the beginning of life and people who argue about the end of life should be on the same team if you're truly pro-life. There's no reason to, to attack each other. We should be on the same team. 
this is what I mean. I don't see how you can be a Black Lives Matter protester and pro-choice. I don't get that. I, I, I find that um, inconsistent. How can you say that Black Lives Matter when someone is killed, but not that a black life matters when it's a baby and killed? Right? I, I don't. So Michael Brown's life matters. I forget how old he he was. Eighteen. I forget. So how, how his life matters when he's eighteen, but not when he's eighteen weeks in the womb. Like you. If you're going to say life matters, it has to matter at all times. Conversely, I don't see how you can be pro-life, which I am, and be against simple reforms in our justice system and in policing that could save lives at the end of life. It's okay to be for both. To me, that's fully pro-life. And if we can admit that we are fully pro-life, if, if, if Black Lives Matter protests, who's be like, you know what, I, I'm for Michael Brown's life at the end of his life, and I'm for all babies like Michael Brown just before they're born. I'm for life at all times, the beginning and the end. Well, now we can make some ground. And same thing, the people who are pro-life, if someone who's pro-life can be like, you know, I'm, I'm for the baby, I'm for that baby's life, and I'm also for... Uh, some reforms in our country so we can prevent these situations at the end of someone's life, which result in a premature death. And once we can do that, then we can talk about everything in between. So obsessed with arguing about the beginning and the end. I'd much rather talk about education reform. Much rather talk about strengthening families. Much rather talk about how we can have a vibrant economy. Much rather talk about how we can have better health care. All those things. And I really think there's a lot of agreement there once we talk about it. Majority of people in inner cities want school choice. Just start there. Pro-life people, we can put down our weapons. Black Lives Matter people, we can put down our weapons. We can come together, we can talk about school choice. School choice, which will give people an education, give them better opportunities in life to have a better, higher-paying job so that they don't have to be uh, robbing people and going to jail six times and having a confrontation with a police officer. We can have people have a better education, get a better job, make more money so that they don't have an unplanned pregnancy, so that they don't have to get an abortion. The thing that can bring people together, the people who are focusing on the end of life and people who are focusing on the beginning of life, is to focus on the middle of life. And I think the best thing, way to do that are with the conservative principles that we argue here all the time. But again, we can't do that if we keep arguing about the beginning and the end. And the way to stop arguing about the beginning and the end is just to admit that all lives matter. All lives matter. Not only all lives matter, all lives matter at all times. The beginning, the middle, and the end. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
Mike Slater. Later, Crusader. Thanks for being here. Uh, coming up next, want to talk about... Um, hold on. Tweet's coming in. Uh, no, Damron lady, I'm not suggesting that. Not suggesting that. I apologize if it came across that way in any way whatsoever. Um, I want to talk coming up next about stealing their space and what that means and why that's important to steal their space. I know that sounds cryptic, but let me give you an example of how uh, that would work. Got an email the other day. Um, let's see. Slater, I'm a San Diegan husband, dad to one daughter, small business owner, active in my Catholic church. I consider myself politically and fiscally a conservative. As you can guess, my conservative ideology is in constant conflict with my fellow parishioners. Because, I'm, 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 as I can guess, really, because I'm involved in my parish, I constantly interact with some of my friends who aren't hesitant to point out that the liberal ideology is the Christian way. Some go as far to voice their dismay. How could anyone be a conservative Republican and a Christian? I hear about social justice a lot, but not quite sure what it means. Wow, that's interesting. I, 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 I would think most Christians would be conservative, I would think. I guess their thinking is, you know, I want to help people. Right, we all agree that we want to help people, but then the split is, well, I want to help people versus the government should help people. Like, like I want to help people, or I want other people to help people. That's sort of that's the split right there. And if you say, well, I want to help people, you're conservative. If it's I want other people to help people, and then get bonus points because I want people to be helped, uh, then I guess that's more of the progressive ideology. Um, but he mentioned social justice. Interesting that people in his Catholic church are talking about social justice. They're using that term more and more. Still, though, it's still new enough where this guy who emailed me is like, I don't even know what that means. Like, (laughs) I keep hearing social justice. I don't even know what it is. Here's my suggestion. Take it over. Take it over. Make it our term. I'll do it right now. My name is Mike Slater. I'm a conservative, I'm a Christian, and I am for social justice. Why does the left have exclusive control of that word? Doesn't make any sense. Social justice only means, or at least it should mean, working to create a society that lives up to the American standards of fairness. Working to create a society that lives up to the American standards of fairness. I believe in fairness. I think you do too. The difference is the left believes in redistributive fairness, and that's mostly about money because they're by nature materialists. I, and conservatives, believe in merit-based fairness, meaning everyone should have opportunities to pursue their happiness and should receive rewards that follow their hard work based on uh, merit. Now, there's definitely an argument to be made that the opportunities are not there that they used to be. So that needs to be our job in the name of social justice 
to make it so that there are more opportunities for more people than ever before. That is social justice. And then what people do with that, well, that's up to them. So I want to talk coming up next about why it's important to take their space. Meaning, Democrats are, most people think a Democrat, they think, oh, they're the caring, compassionate people. Look, they believe in social justice. No, 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 no. I believe in social justice. <laughs> I'm Mike Slater. I am a firm believer in social justice. I'm going to define it. I'm not going to let the left, because I know there's people listening now who are thinking, oh, hold on, Slater, I don't believe in social justice. No, no, you don't believe in their definition of social justice. We need to take it over, redefine it, and make it our own. Do you believe in a, in a society that has standards of fairness and opportunity for everyone? Absolutely. We believe in social justice. Take it over. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Um, I want to get right to it. Uh, I want to play, if you haven't heard it yet, the uh, mini documentary that we just released. It's on our Facebook page. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook, and it's also on theblaze.com as well. You gotta scroll down a little bit to find it. Uh, it's about the highwayman. And to me, it's the story of... It's a four-minute video. Uh, I guarantee you, you'll love it. Um, it's a story of a man who has dedicated his life to paying it forward. And it's the story of a man, Rick, who fulfilled a promise. Anyone can make a promise. It's about fulfilling the promise. And Rick did that. It's a beautiful story. It's four minutes. Uh, like I said, I guarantee you, you'll love it. It's on our Facebook page. You can just search for The Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Please watch it and share it um, and lift up some people. Uh, it, it will lift up everyone who watches it. Um, all right, so I just had an interesting conversation during the top of the hour break here on Twitter with uh, Lucas. Before the break, I said we need to steal their space. <clears throat> steal their space. What does that mean? It means become a social justice warrior. <laughs> You're like, well, no, I don't want anything to do with social justice. Social justice is evil. It's their thing. I don't want it. My argument is we need to take it. Take their space and make it our own. So that was my argument last segment. I, I could only do it briefly. Um, and Lucas said, unfortunately, Slater, it's too late to take over the moniker social justice. It was created and defined by the left. No doubt it was created and defined. But why is it too late, I said. He said, well, it's not new. It's been out for a decade. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's what social justice is. Or at least what I will make it. <laughs> if you'll join me. And maybe you can make it, you can redefine it and even better. But this is how I would redefine it. I, Mike Slater, conservative Christian, am for a society... That has basic standards of fairness based on opportunity for everyone. That is social justice. And Lucas said, I say let them keep their lexicon. 
but defeat their ideas. And here's where I want to want to break and get to my point. That's such a great. I, Luke is saying, listen, they, let them keep saying they're the social for social justice. We'll just beat them on that idea. But why even let them have it? Because here's the problem: people like that lexicon. People like the they like the the sound of social justice. So I say we take their lexicon and actually fulfill it. Right? We take their lexicon and actually be caring and compassionate. Get the best of both worlds. So where are you coming from with this? All right, let me I want to share a study if, if you don't mind. Just recently released. Uh it's complicated, so I'll skip over a few points for the sake of time. But big picture. When most people we're talking about average person. So uh, let me break this down quick. So you have diehard conservatives, about 22% of the population. This is from Pew Research. Um, they said this was the largest research study that Pew Research has ever done. 22% of people are diehard conservative. 15% are diehard liberal. 56% of people have different political persuasions. So I don't want to say they're in the middle, but they're persuadable. They're persuadable. 56%. So when we have this conversation, we're not trying to target a diehard liberal. We're not trying to target the the people who got up on stage at Bernie Sanders' rally and took it over as a Black Lives Matter protest. right? Don't forget about them. But that's only 15% of the people. I'm talking to the 56% of people. The majority of people. Called the persuadables. Now, If you ask those people what they think of Democrats, most people will say, and you can disagree with this, but but this is what most people say, that Democrats are empathetic and compassionate. They have empathy and compassion. When people think of Republicans, they think strong moral values and strong leadership. So those are the basic stereotypes that the average person has of each party. Both good things, right? It's not like, oh, the Democrats are evil or whatever, right? It's Democrats have empathy and compassion, Republicans, moral values, and strong leadership. Now, when conservative candidates are deciding how they want to present themselves, the instinct is to play to your strength. Right. The instinct is for a candidate to say, well, listen, people see me as a Republican, as a strong leader and someone with strong moral values. So I'm going to further emphasize my strong leadership and my strong moral values. I'm going to play to my strength. We do it all the time in our lives, right? We play to our strengths. People who are flexible do yoga. People who lift heavy weights go to the gym. When in reality, people who do yoga should go lift weights and people who lift weights should go do some yoga. We shouldn't be playing to our strengths. We should really be playing to our weaknesses to lift those and improve those up. Same with conservative candidates for office. You already have the strong moral values and the strong leadership stereotype. You got that on lock. You're good. You got that down pat. Go market yourself as someone who has empathy and compassion. Invade their space. Now, here's the study, right? Turns out when Democrats portray themselves as strong leaders and people with strong moral values, they win 60-40. 
So when Democrats invade the Republican space, when Democrats take over Republican characteristics of moral values and strong leadership, Democrats win 60-40. But when Republicans invade the Democratic space, and when Republicans portray themselves as compassionate and empathetic, then the conservative candidates win elections 65-35. That is a huge 10-point swing in favor of Republicans. So the moral of the story is, voters want someone who is both compassionate and moral, a great leader, and empathetic. The voters want all of these traits. Not just two of them, all of them. And when a a conservative takes on the other two, they have a bigger jump, a bigger bump, than when Democrats take on the other two. So, and and so I've been talking to conservative candidates, just conservatives listening now. You already got the first two. People already think of you as someone with strong morals and strong leadership. So now it's our job to prove to those same people that we have those other two traits as well. That we are also people who are compassionate and people with empathy. So when Lucas was texting me and he said, well, Slater, let them keep it. Right? Let them keep their lexicon. We'll defeat them with their ideas. No, no. Take that lexicon. Make it your own. And not only make it your own, but fulfill it. So how do we do that? I think it's simple. The reason I am a conservative is because I care deeply about poverty and people who live in poverty. I am a conservative because I want to fight to help the people who are poor and most vulnerable. Here's how. And we talk about those things all the time. And if we can do that, now we are people who are good leaders and strong morals and have compassion and empathy. Do that. Yeah, of course you'll win elections, but more important than that, you'll change hearts and minds. That's the most important thing, changing the hearts and minds. The elections come after. So when I say take over social justice, when most people hear social justice, they're like, oh, that sounds nice. Sounds like a good thing. I like social justice. So I'm going to side with the people who base themselves off of social justice. And they don't even really know what it means. But they, they, like it sounds compassionate. It sounds empathetic. So, uh, okay, I'll go with that. Yeah, but they don't even, like in the end of the day, they're just for welfare programs that are neither compassionate nor empathetic. So they take on the lexicon, but they don't live it. They don't fulfill it. We to take the lexicon. We're the people who are for social justice. We're the people who are for fairness and for opportunity for everyone. And we are for charity, which is true compassion and empathy. Take the lexicon and fulfill it. That's how we change hearts and minds. Because why should we let them have social justice? What, like, who are they to take that on? Right? Who are they to, to be the people who are for, oh, we're for social, what are you talking about? No, 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 you're not for social, I'm for social justice. Don't tell me that you're for caring for people, or you're for the poor. Like, why, why do people think that the Democrats are for the poor? Here, seriously, if you ask most people walking around at your work, Democrats are for poor people, uh, conservatives are for rich people. Break that stereotype. Steal their space. 
I'll give you one example here. We'll take a break. Uh, Carly Fiorina gotten uh, some heat for um, talking about maternity leave. And she was talking, I think, Jake Tapper. And Jake Tapper goes, oh, so you're against maternity leave? And Carly Fiorina goes, no, 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 no. I'm against mandatory paid maternity leave. Now, to the average person, let's say to the diehard conservative, we get the difference between those two things. And we've talked about the economics of it and all that stuff before. But that doesn't sound compassionate. That doesn't sound empathetic. So it's simple. Carly should have told a story. And she's got time to do this. Tell a story. Say, listen, when I was at Hewlett Packard, and she did this a little bit, when I was at Hewlett Packard, we had paid maternity leave. But now she needed to go a little deeper. She should have said, um, there was a woman who uh, worked at Hewlett Packard. Um, her baby was born with some, some difficulties. We actually gave her two years paid maternity leave so that she could be with her family during those difficult two years. Or whatever, right? But take on, that's social justice to me. That's a story of social justice. We can tell stories of empathy and compassion and beat Hillary and the rest at their own game. And I would suggest that not only is that a way to win, I'd say that's the only way to win. And it's the only way to change hearts and minds, which is more important. Hope that makes sense. one 888 Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. So L.M. Smith just wrote me. She said, Slater, so you want to take over the redistribution of wealth? L.M. Smith, you know better than that. <laughs> You've listened to this show long enough. You know that's not what I want. I want to redefine social justice to mean something completely different than redistribution of wealth. Why, why does social justice mean redistribution of wealth? Why, why, why let the left define it that way? Social justice means fairness and opportunity. And that's what we believe in, isn't it, as conservatives? Fairness and opportunity. So why let them have that? This is very important. This, I, I really want to make this. It's not an argue, it's not, oh, it's not semantics. Because you got to look at the 56% of, I don't know. Hmm. Let me back it up. I, have tend, uh, I tend to look at political discussions between conservatives and progressives. But that leaves out a whole swath of people, 56% of people, a <laughs> uh, majority of Americans who are in neither the conservative or they don't, they don't label themselves as being the conservative or the progressive team. I'm talking about the 56% of people in the middle, people who are open to having some heart change and open to uh, picking a political candidate or whatever. They like the word social justice. They like the concept 
of social justice. So they go with the people who argue for social justice. And then when they get there, they realize, whoa, 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 that's, that's not what I want. <laughs> like, I, that's, uh, that's not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for higher taxes. I didn't sign up for, uh, what, I don't even know whatever, whatever else. I didn't sign up for redistribution of wealth. I didn't sign up for cap and trade. I didn't sign up for higher gas tax. I didn't sign up for all this stuff. So if we take over social justice and the 56% of Americans in the middle will say, oh, I like social justice. And then they come to our team and they say, oh, perfect. This is exactly what I thought social justice would be. I, that's ex- I, ex- I thought it would be more charity for people in need. I thought it would be a social safety net for those who truly need it and not a way of life. I thought it would be people who believed in a, in a vibrant economy that gives more opportunity for people to live the American dream. That's exactly what I thought social justice was going to be. Thank you, conservatives, for directing me in the right direction. Why would we let the left take over that term and deceive people? Why, dece- why, why let them deceive people like that? I'll give you an example. I got three minutes. Uh, New York City, New York, the um, uh, police officers union, 12,000 police officers they represent. They are encouraging union members, so police officers and their family members, to take pictures of bums, vagrants, homeless people, panhandlers, and people urinating in public. And they, people, take, people take pictures of them and then put them online. And this is done to shame the progressive politicians in New York City. To get them to recognize the quality of life in New York City is eroding these last couple of years. Now, I don't think this is the best way to do it because these vagrants and bums are people too. And in shaming City Hall, you're also shaming them. And that's, I don't think that's appropriate. And if you look at the collection of pictures that people have been sending in, it breaks your heart. So we have two very different approaches to this problem. Both could fall under the category of social justice. So the left says, we're for social justice. Look at these homeless people. We're just going to let them live in the street. We're going to let them live in the street. We're going to have some homeless shelters. So we're going to give them soup and a cot every once in a while. But mostly we're just going to let people uh, continue to be drunk and high and depressed and wallow in their own filth in the streets of New York City. Yay for social justice. Or we could take the Rudy Giuliani approach. Which, and I heard him describe this a couple years back in person. He said, listen, these are people. These are mothers and fathers and and brothers and sisters and best friends. We can't have these people sleeping on the street because every day that they spend on the street, they fall deeper and deeper into a darker and darker place. Leaving these people on the street is not the compassionate thing to do. So Giuliani, he didn't arrest these people. People think that he just arrested them. They went out in teams of three. There was a police officer, a social worker, and an addiction specialist. And they would walk up to people who live on the street and help them get help. So that they don't need to be on the streets at all. And some people would go back, of course, but most would get the help they need. And obviously that, there's a lot of different people that need a lot of different things. But let it... Like, that's social justice. 
whether it's uh, breaking their addiction, getting them back in touch with their families, helping with their depression, whatever it is that leads someone on the street to, to live on the street, let's address that root issue so that they don't need to live on the street anymore. That's the compassionate thing to do. So to me, that's social justice. <laughs> Equipping people with the skills to go from homeless to self-sufficient. To go from worthless, as they feel, to valued. That's social justice. I don't want the left to take that term. Because when they take it, they mean something totally different. They mean, let's let these people live in the streets and get more depressed and more drunk and fall deeper and deeper and further and further away from the rest of society. That is not social justice, and it bothers me that they claim the social justice mantle. We can do better. We know we can do better. Take their lexicon, take their term, and let's fulfill it to the fullest. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On The Blaze Radio Network. the next generation of talk radio this is mike slater hey slater crusades we'll take one call on this and then we'll move on because we have two more things that we got to do in the next 20 minutes uh dave is in boston dave how are you today sir hey doing pretty good mike how are you good thanks for calling what do you think well uh it's always the second word in their slogan that uh sort of betrays what it means so <laughs> gun gun control it's about control social justice it's about power uh, you talk about a safety net, it's really about the net. <laughs> I so, just say, yeah. Right? So what, what starts happening is uh, they float out all this caring language, and then they follow up with, well, we have the authority to tell you who needs yeah. the help, where they need the help, how they need the help. And the challenge, I mean, if you really want to take this on, the challenge is to find that point where you enable people but you uh, don't have the you don't have the show of power uh, that makes it work, which is hard because the social-minded people they want to follow. They really want to have somebody in power who tells them, you know, everything's going to be okay. Mm. Here, you don't have to work. We're going to give you phone, food stamps, all that kind of stuff, and that makes them feel like they're free. They feel like, well, I can just get my free food, and I have my free phone, and I have, I'm see, I'm free. I have all this stuff, and it doesn't work that way because they don't realize how dependent they actually are. Yeah. So it's that sort of one-two situation where all the, you know, all the big flowers and all the frosting and everything's right up front, and then you cut into the cake, and it's you know, a mud pie or, you know, <laughs> no, Dave, I appreciate the call. Thank you for that. I, I agree with everything you said. I would only challenge the, uh, slight sense of, uh, not cynicism. Um, like, well, you know, it's, it's like the sense of like, they already got it. It's theirs, you know, 
What are you going <laughs> to... I think we can overcome all of those hurdles. Defeatism was the word I was looking for. I think we can overcome all those hurdles that you talked about. I don't think... I used to be of the belief that you can't beat free stuff. And if someone's giving away free stuff, that that's it. We can't beat that. I don't agree with that. I used to be of that school of thought. I, I don't agree with that anymore. I believe that if we have a truly aspirational spokesperson for the movement and this is the time to, in this in this form it's a running for president because we got you know 16 months or whatever till the election but it's even more than that it's it's aspirational people that's all of us i think there's more people that that want to work and want dignity and want to make a living for themselves and want to support their family, then there are people who want an Obama phone. I, I really do. I know the Obama people, Obama phone people are loud and I know they make for good YouTube clips, but I think there are much more people who want true justice, which is just opportunity and fairness and not fairness and not, not equal outcome, but equal opportunity. I really think most people, I, I do. I, I, I mean, I don't even call me, uh, naive if you want but I think most people just want fairness and equal opportunity and if someone if we and, and also someone running for president can articulate that I think that's a winning message so if, and let's also talk so uh, uh, Dave a different Dave wrote me a tweet he said um, do, 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 do. there it is Slater, why don't you let dictionaries define words rather than thinking each party can make up their own definition? All right, fine. Well, let the dictionary define this. Social means uh, friendly companionship. Looking at the dictionary. Dictionary Dictionary.com. Social is friendly companionship. And justice is moral righteousness. (laughs) All right. Nowhere in there is there uh, redistribution of income. So, Yeah. I'm for social justice as defined by the dictionary, friendly companionship, personal interactions, and moral righteousness. Who's not for those things? I think a majority of people are. So I don't know. Let, just let it sit. I can I can t- t- word it a thousand different ways, but let that sit and simmer and we'll be... Uh, We'll think more about it as, as time goes on here. Um, let's see. I got a lot of tweets. Uh, Rich said, social justice equals more opportunities for everyone. Lower taxes, less regulation. You're brilliant. We own this. Um, Paul says, agree with the goal. Doubt it would succeed. As one whose life has been turned upside down three times by social justice warriors, can't stomach hearing it. Uh, why don't I wonder how, how, how has your life been turned upside down three different times by social justice warriors? Um, I'm curious about that, but I think a majority of people want, they like the concept of social justice. So let's take it over and own it ourselves. Um, let us, all right, guys, should we talk about VJ day? And then maybe, and then we'll time to play our, a uh, little clip of our mini documentary that we just released yesterday. And it's up on the blaze.com right now as well. Let's do VJ day. 70, 70 years ago, victory over Japan. Have you ever wondered why it's called that? <laughs> why is it called VJ day? Nick Slater, come on. Victory over Japan Day. Jeez. Yeah, 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 I get that. But why, why, why victory? Why victory? I mean, World War One. We, we didn't. We don't call the end of World War One VG Day, victory over Germany or whatever. We don't. It's called Armistice Day. 
right? the day we signed the peace agreement. So why do we mark the end of World War II? Why do we call it VE Day and, and VJ Day? Victory over Europe, victory over Japan. The story starts with Victor de la, de la Vallée. He was the main newsreader for the BBC during World War II. And in 1941, which is the beginning of our involvement in the war, but already two years into it for Europe, Victor suggested that people rally behind the letter V. Where Nazis used a swastika, we're going to use the letter V. By the way, swastika never used to mean what it meant in Nazi Germany. It's a old symbol that they repurposed for their own use but that's for a different day we on the allies that we're going to use the letter v why because in french it stood for victory and in dutch the word freedom starts with the letter v victory and freedom so what are we going to do with this first and foremost draw it everywhere especially if you're in a place that's under nazi control so if you are in um one of the the countries that have been taken over by the Nazis, write it on every surface you see. Graffiti it on signs and walls. Scratch it into wood and anything metal that you can come across. Always write the letter V. There's pictures of Nazi-controlled countries with Vs on billboards and storefront windows and the Nazi trucks. There'll be a V painted on the front window. And it was a message. It was a message to the Nazis that, yeah, you may be in control at this moment, but there's still a resistance. You have not won yet. De Lavallee, he read a message from Churchill to the people of Europe. He said, the V sign, this is Churchill writing this message, the V sign is the symbol of of the unconquerable will of the occupied territories and a sign of the fate awaiting Nazi tyranny. So long as the peoples continue to refuse all collaboration with the invader, it is sure that his cause will perish and that Europe will be liberated. Second reason for the V. So first is Put it everywhere. Write it everywhere you see it. Second, flash it with your hand. We know it as the peace sign today, but you see pictures of Winston Churchill uh, flashing the V. He wasn't saying peace. He was saying victory. Thirdly, Morse code. V in Morse code is dot, 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 dash. Dot, 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 dash. And they told all the people in occupied territories to... Tap it whenever possible. Dot, 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 dash. The most popular song in England quickly became Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Do we have a a, a rendition of this? Beethoven's Fifth? The Nazi patrols have tried everything, principally violence. But everywhere they hear Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, the musical three dots and a dash. Ah, There it is. Right? So there it is. That, that's a dun 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 dun. So Beethoven's Fifth became the most popular song in England and in Nazi invaded territories. Love that. So the V did a few things. It told the enemy 
We haven't given up yet. And think how demoralizing that would be to the Nazis. Right on patrol. They're, they're in a territory they just took over. And they look around and they see every morning they wake up and there's a new V written on one of their vehicles or on a storefront or something. Told the enemy that we haven't given up yet. And I think even more important than that, it told fellow allies, you're not alone. So imagine you're walking down the street and you think you're the only one who, doesn't, who hasn't given in yet to the Nazis. And you're walking down the street and you see a V scratched into the sidewalk that someone else wrote. You know you're not alone now. That is incredibly powerful. So what does that mean for our greatest generation? What did it mean? It meant the Nazis could take everything material away from us. Or the Japanese, whoever. Could take anything, or excuse me, everything material away from us. But as long as they never took our hope and our love for freedom, we were always there fighting. We were there fighting until the day that we could finally flash that V once and for all. And that is why it is known as VE and VJ Day. 70 years ago today. one 888 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on The Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. I didn't leave enough time to play the full of this. I apologize, but I want to tell the story real quick of the highwayman. For 50 years in San Diego, he's been driving the highways, pulling over to help people who need a spare tire who ran out of gas. 50 years he's been doing it. In 2011, someone crashed into his beloved Beulah. That's the truck he's been driving since 1966. A couple months ago, we had the highwayman on my local show, and one of our listeners decided to fix Beulah for the highwayman. This is just the beginning of a mini documentary. And it's on theblaze.com right now. Enjoy. I want to go to Rick, who's in Vista. Rick, how are you, sir? Good, Mike. How are you? Good. You're here with the highwayman. You know, a few years ago, there was a pileup right in front of us on the freeway, but it was on the other side of the median. And there was a little VW car, and all of a sudden, a, a spark or something set off a small fire. And I said to my guys, we've got to get across that median. There's, there's a lady in that car. But there was so much traffic... On the other side, we couldn't get over, and in a matter of minutes, uh, the car and the woman burned up, and it's always haunted me, mm. always haunted me. Mm. And I hear what this guy does, and I want to pass it on. I want to restore his uh, his car for him. What do you think of that highway, man? I'm kind of speechless. Thank you. video here of highwayman helping out someone out in uh, 2010 from his dashboard cam 
So today will be the first time this thing hits the highway since 2011. So was that five years? When I heard that he had been doing this for 50 years, I'm like, who does that? You know, you got people that help out here and there, but 50 years. Who, who, who does something like that 50 years consistently? So, yeah, it was a no-brainer. Let's go back to when you were 16 years old. What happened? Coming home in a blizzard on a lonely Illinois highway. I went into a snowbank and was trapped there. My car was trapped there. And it was... A fellow came along after I'd been there a few hours and pulled me out with a chain and he wouldn't accept any money. I offered to pay him. I said, thank you. He said, you pass it on when you can. Well, I think we can wipe the roof off and head on out, Ray. In 49 years of doing what I do, I've learned that a lot of people's intentions are good, but not everybody follows through. Here she comes. Here she comes. Oh, we got to stop it there. I hate it. Please go to our Facebook page and watch the, the rest of the two minutes of the video. You'll love it, I promise. It's the story of a man who has dedicated his life to paying it forward and the story of a man who fulfilled a promise and brought Beulah back to life. As good as it gets. Search for The Mike Slater Show on Facebook and you can see the video right there. Please spread it far and wide. Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Have a great rest of your week on Slater Crusader. See you next Saturday. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.